0: I love that song, I Can't Beat God Given. And uh, <clears throat> the first time I ever heard it, uh, I was preaching at Crenshaw Christian Center down here in the Faith Dome, Fred Price. And, uh, and and I've preached at Crenshaw, oh, I don't know, once a year for, I don't know, maybe 25 years or so, a long time. And uh, And every time I'd ever go, every year, whenever it came time for the offering... Uh, Brother Fred, Fred Price would stand up and he would personally sing that song. I'd never heard that song before ever. I just thought he made it up. And uh, he would stand up and sing that song, and, and I just thought it was the grandest thing. Uh, and of course, he's got a full orchestra and he's got, you know, bands and he's got singers, and, but he would always do that himself. And he would sing the song himself. And I just always thought it was so apropos because I, you know, I didn't know anybody Richard and Fred, you know, and I knew that it really, really worked for him and uh and so uh later at some point i I mentioned it to to renee and to to dean to her husband and and, uh and she said oh i know that song and she told me who wrote it and when it was written and so on and so forth but i just i just think it's such a great song i just can't beat god-given and uh you know sometimes we really need to try you I don't get scared they've already taken up the offering. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get an offering. I'm just telling you a lifestyle, a lifestyle of living that I made a determination many years ago, a, a couple of determinations. I determined that I wouldn't let the sun go down uh, in, any day without having given something to somebody, without blessing somebody with something. And, uh, and I determined that I was going to keep one accounting division of God's angels busy keeping up with my giving and keeping up with my, uh, with my receiving. Amen. I don't know. I don't know about you, but it costs money to do what I do. It costs money to do what y'all do. Yeah. I mean, you know, money is just one of those things you have to have. It's just a tool of the world that we absolutely have to have. When you, you know, when you go to the gas station, they want money. When you go to the grocery store, they want money. And you not matter where you go, they want money. You know, if you go to In-N-Out Burger, they want money. So, uh, so you know, it's just something you have to deal with and something you have to have. And I just always thought, you know, why not? Why not get a supernatural boost to that? I mean, because the world does it. You know, I have lived in the jungle with Indian tribes that, that uh, they don't use uh, they don't use money in the jungle, but they certainly uh, raise their crops and take them into town and sell them and get money, and then are are barter and, and trade. I'm here one time years ago there in Tulsa. Uh, Oral Roberts called me, and back when he, you know, probably the last twenty twenty five years of his life, he lived down the road here in Newport Beach, but uh, for many many years of course he lived in Tulsa and back in the day when he lived in Tulsa and I lived in Tulsa then he would call quite a bit and, and our Evelyn would call his wife and say hey y'all come up for lunch or y'all come up to dinner or something like that so Jackie and I dropped what we were doing we'd go I remember one time Oral called and said come on up here to the office and let's have lunch so I stopped and ran up there and, and we were just sitting down he had a dining room next to his office uh, with plate glass windows that overlooked the university looked uh, overlooked ORU and, and the prayer tower and all of that and uh, so we were just sitting down to, to eat because, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't really go out and eat in Tulsa because he's the most recon- recognizable face in the world at one point. And so, you know, he just kind of stayed in because that way he could have some privacy and people wouldn't always be, you know, interrupting the meal or whatever. So he had this dining room that overlooked the university, and we'd go, we We were just sitting down to eat. And just as we got set down uh, at the table, he said, Terry, he said, Christians are the stupidest people on the face of the earth. I just sit there and I said, well, well, Brother Oral, why, why would you make a statement like that? Why would you say something like that? He said, because Christians are the only people on the planet that eat their seed. And I immediately knew he was right. I immediately, my brain immediately went to the third world countries I've been to and the, and the, and the tribes I've been with and the tribes I've actually lived with. And, and, and they would never eat their seed. Man, they go out there and they plant that seed. And then and then they harvest the seed and then they take some a portion of the seed and put it over in one spot and that's their seed for next harvest. And they're not going to touch that. It doesn't matter how time, how hard times get or how lean it gets or how hungry somebody gets, they're going to stretch everything else but they're not going to touch that. Because if they touch that, there won't be anything to sow and if there's not anything to sow, there's not going to be a harvest. Amen. And so my brain just immediately went there. And I said, Brother world, Christians are the stupidest people on the face of the planet. I said, you're right. They're, they're the only people on the planet that eat their seed. Everybody else is smart enough to save their seed and put their seed away and save their seed for harvest. But Christians just think, hey, let's eat, drink, and be merry, you know, for tomorrow we'll die or whatever. I don't know. But uh, sowing seed and living, living to give... It's such a wonderful lifestyle and a marvelous lifestyle. And I, I, I learned how to live to give and, and to make that not just a statement or a cute little phrase, but a, a lifestyle from a missionary down in Mexico way back when I was just a teenager. And, uh, and this gentleman's name is Wayne Myers, and Renee and I were just at his 95th birthday uh, last in, in August and he's still preaching and still going strong and still running the ministry and still helping all kinds of people, very involved in all this Mexico relief. In fact, he's given away 10 cars in the last six months. And, uh, and he, you know, he's a faith missionary and, and I've known him since I was 18 years old. And he's just one of those guys that, I, you know, I always say when I grow up, that's who I'm going to be like. But, uh, living to give is just such a wonderful, marvelous, uh, plan of God that we absolutely can live by giving. And, uh, Live on our harvest, and then turn around and sow seed, and then live on our harvest, and turn around and sow seed. And so, anyway, so I really like that song. I appreciate Renee Renee singing that, and it always takes me back to to uh, Brother Fred down the road here, and then uh, and then of course to to Brother Wayne down in Mexico. But uh, did y'all uh, get anything out of that service this morning? God is a good checker player, and He's not going to move out of turn. And if you're waiting for something to happen and wondering why God's not moving then you need to check yourself out and check God out and say, you know, whose turn is it? Are you waiting on me to move? All this time I've been waiting on you to move, and I realize you don't move out of turn, so maybe it's my turn. And check and see whose turn it is. And uh, God has all these laws of reciprocals in the Word of God. You know, whenever whenever, uh, uh, Noah and the eight people came out of the ark, there in Genesis chapter 8, they built an altar to God and they sacrificed to him. And when they did, the Lord said, "Hey, you guys, get out your get out your notes, get out your you know iPad, and get out you know all your stuff. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you uh, your reason for living. I'm going to give you the, the the why you're here. I'm going to tell you uh, what your vision is and what your purpose is and what your what your plans are. And so, so write this down. Don't ever forget it. Now, you ready? That's yes, sir, Lord. And He said, okay. He gave them four immutable laws, four laws that'll never ever ever change. He said, as long as time remains, there will be seed time and harvest." That's that's a law of God. They'll never, ever, ever change. God ever if you ever want to figure God out, I've told people this for years, if you ever want to psychoanalyze God and put him on a couch and psychoanalyze him and figure him out, you always have to go back to Genesis 8 because that's where he thinks, as long as time remains, there will be seed time and harvest. So everything God does, he thinks of in terms of seed time and harvest. And everything that you do, he looks at you through that lens of seed time and harvest, that you're going to be blessed if you're sowing seed. You're not going to be blessed if you're not sowing seed because it's the law of God. And he said, so as long as time remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. There'll be day and night. There'll be heat and cold. There'll be summer and winter. And those are just immutable laws that never, ever, ever change. Amen? And so God's a, God's a God of laws and a God of principles. This book, our Bible, is a book of laws and principles. And don't get hung up on that word law. People today, the church today, I've never seen the church in such a mess as she is today, hung up over, over the word law and hung up over the word grace. And she's messed both of them up to here where you almost don't recognize either one of them. Are you here? But I don't know if you realize it or not, but you we we live in a world of laws. Hello? And I, for one, am not willing to live in a world that doesn't have laws. If we didn't have laws, you, you'd really be in trouble. How would you like to go down down Los Angeles and there's no policeman on duty? None of the stoplights work. There's no law. If you do that, you immediately revert to the law of the jungle that only the strong survive. Their survival of the fittest. And so you'd immediately, immediately you'd have, you'd have people take over that would get rid of all the old people, get rid of all the babies and just the, just the strong survive. Are you here? But we have laws to stop all of that kind of stuff. I'm a pilot. I'm very interested in laws of aviation. Those laws of aviation will keep me alive. And if I violate those, they'll, they'll kill me. Are you here? You get out here and drive on the freeways, you've got laws that you drive by. You've got things where you know know what that guy's supposed to do. He knows what you're supposed to do. And if everybody does what they're supposed to do, then everything goes well. But when somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to do, there's a major, major problem that affects sometimes lots and lots of people. Amen? Amen? Amen. And thank God for grace and thank God for laws. And I'm not talking about the law. I'm talking about laws. And we live, we live in a world where we've got, we've got all kind of laws of physics. We've got the law of gravity. You know, we've just got, we've just got all kind of laws that we deal with every day. But all of a sudden in the church, we've made the word law a dirty word. Oh, don't talk to me about law. Don't talk to me about that. Well, you better, you better hook up and see which way God's going because that may be why He's not moving because you're hung up over here in an area and you're not doing what you need to be doing. And so therefore His hands are tied because He still operates by laws. Hello? God still operates by law. So just because you've thrown them all out and said, oh, no, not me, I'm free, I don't have any law, then you're not going to get God to move on your behalf if you're not operating in laws. Because there's the law of seed time and harvest. Amen? There's the law of sowing and reaping. There's the law of giving and receiving. There's, there's the law that works all the time, works for everybody around the world, works for poor people, works for rich people, works for people that are educated and live in cities, people that are uneducated and live in the jungle, they still operate by those same laws of seed time and harvest. Amen, Amen, Brother Terry, that's a good word. Well, thank you. I'm glad you think so because it's true. It's true. Just like that little song says, just go on giving because it's really, really true. You can't beat be God-given. As, as, as long as you're a giver, then God's going to have angels working on the situation to see to it that you get a harvest. Why? Because it's his law. It's his law. He's not going to violate his own law. Are you here? Now, you know, I remember back in the old days when we used to give to God just because we loved him. People don't hardly give to God because they love him anymore. They give to God to get something back because they know it's a law. And so many times, even in, in, in all the churches you go to, all the conventions you go to, all the ministries you watch, whenever the preacher takes up an offering, he'll, he'll immediately refer to seed and harvest and give a seed, and God will bless you back, God will give you a hundredfold of what you give. Well, all that's true. That's all Bible, but that's not ever the motive. The motive is we're given to God because we love him. Or we're giving to missions because we want to get people saved. Amen. Or we're giving to the building fund because pastors trying to build a church. Are you here? Our indication, Brother Myers, has given away ten cars in the last six months. You know he he he's given to given to help some of these little uh, Mexican pastors that uh, need a vehicle. Amen. 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 Not expecting something back or not not doing no, that's not true. Expecting something back but not doing it to get something back. The motive isn't to get something back. The motive is to bless and to help and to create and to minister. But the law is you're going to get something back anyway because it's a law. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like it. Amen. You know, I've gone all over the world for these almost 50 years. This coming year will be 50 years. And I've said many times, uh, I said, you know, I can preach a whole prosperity seminar just by holding this up. Just anywhere in the world because, you know, everybody, I mean, I could have used, I could have chosen some other fruit besides the tomato, but it's just that this is instantly recognizable wherever I go. If I'm in Russia, if I'm in Ukraine, if I'm in the jungles, if I'm in Mexico, it if I'm in India, it doesn't make any difference. I can hold this up and everybody knows what a tomato is. And so uh, you you can just preach a whole seminar on finances just off, just off this one little package. Amen? Because to get tomatoes, you're going to have to do what? Amen. You know, I was at, I was at uh, Mike and Beth's house back in, back in May, and he took me out in the backyard and showed me his tomato plants, and he's, he's got... What did he tell us? 28 varieties? I didn't know there were 28 varieties of tomatoes. He had 28 varieties of tomatoes growing. First thing I did when I got to the house the other night, as I walked outside to see if there's any tomatoes out there, and they're looking pretty scraggly right now. But I did pick a few. I did find a few and ate a few. But uh, you have to sow in order to reap. Amen. Because it's a law. It's a law. Back in nineteen uh, or back in two thousand four, uh, I have a twenty nine year old son that was killed in an automobile accident, and um, he was on a hunting trip and, and uh, with some guys. And I had told him the, day, the, the the day he died. I had told him that day four different times. I said, Paul, don't don't go hunting tonight. Don't go hunting with those guys tonight. I've got a bad feeling about that. And uh, and he was sweet about it. You know, I said, Oh, Dad, I want to go hunting. I want you know see these guys. Blah blah. blah. Anyway, he got killed, and. Uh, you know, after he got killed, after he went to heaven, left a wife and three little kids, I would, uh, I would go sit out in my backyard uh, day in and day out because his wife didn't want me to leave and go preach. My wife didn't want me to leave and go preach, you know. And so I just, I was home for numbers of weeks, almost, I think maybe almost three months. I didn't go anywhere and preach. I just stayed home and, and, uh, and did things for the family and so on and so forth. But I, w- I would get up early in the morning and go outside in my backyard and uh, take my Bible and my coffee cup, my coffee, and go out there and sit in the backyard. And and our backyard faced the east. And so every morning that I was out there, every morning I'd go out there and the sun would come up. And I remember sitting there a few days with my Bible and my coffee cup and, and I'd just look at the sun and I'd say, how dare you? How dare you come up? Don't you know my world's been blown apart and collapsed and and uh here you just come up like nothing's happened but see it's a law of god it's just as long as time remains there'll be seed time and harvest heat and cold summer and winter amen and you know as soon as the sun got up a little bit the birds would start singing you know he went to heaven in june so here it is you know the birds are all happy and they're all saying i say, what's wrong with you guys What's the matter with you? Why are you singing? Don't you know? You know. And and uh, but day after day after day, here'd come those birds and they'd just sing because as long as time remains, those are those are laws of God that we're going to have to understand that that God's law, God's principles, God's book is laws and principles that work when we work them, don't work when we don't work them. Amen. Are y'all here? Turn to Matthew chapter. Uh, Mm, don't want to go there. Turn to to uh, Luke. Let's go to Luke instead. Luke chapter sixteen, and I want to share something with you. It's possible I may have preached this here years ago. Um, I know I hadn't preached it in the last two or three years that I've been here, but but maybe years ago I've preached it. But Luke chapter sixteen. Jesus tells us a story, and it's a it's a true story, and it's a terrible true story. It's a horrible true story. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's more horrible than anything that Hollywood could think of. It's more terrifying than anything Stephen King could write. And it's a true story. Now, a lot of times when Jesus told us stories, they they weren't they weren't True stories, they were analogies or they were metaphors or they were, uh, you know, he would say uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed or the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. Or, or he'd, you know, he'd, he'd give analogies, he'd give metaphors and, or he'd speak in parables and things like that. But then sometimes he just said, no, this is a true story about a real person. And so that's what this story is in Luke chapter 16. And anytime he uses the word certain, you always know that this story is a true story about a real person. Person. This is not an analogy, it's not a metaphor, it's not a parable. It's a real life story about a real, a real person. And so he starts off and says, there was a certain rich man, verse 19. There was a certain rich man. That means it's real. He's talking about a, a real guy. And he said, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was also a certain beggar, he even tells you his name, named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, at the rich man's gate, full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was what? Buried. Buried. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, his body was buried, but he wasn't buried. Just like the angels carried the Lazarus into the Abraham's bosom, well, this rich man went to hell. And uh, it says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, plural, more than one. And he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the dip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented. Second time he used that word. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Third time he uses the word torment. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that I would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, in not interest interesting this rich guy got really smart in hell? He knew what needed to be done with his brothers. Somebody needs to go testify to them. See, so you've got friends, you've got relatives, you've got people that neighbors, you've got people you work with down, down at the place where you work that need to be testified to. Somebody needs to testify to them. That's what those five brothers needed, and this guy in hell was smart enough now to know what they needed. He said somebody needs to go testify to them He said, if they will testify to them, lest they also come to this place of what? Torment. Fourth time he uses that word torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, and they have the church and the word. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will what? Repent. Isn't that interesting? He knew they needed to be testified to, and they needed to repent. And he knew if they didn't get testified to and if they didn't repent, they were going to also come to this place of torment. And he said, No, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, or the church and the word, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Now, isn't it interesting that, that this guy in hell had this kind of insight? You know... The church doesn't preach on hell much anymore. You know, it doesn't preach on heaven much anymore. In fact, much of the church doesn't believe in hell or heaven anymore. In fact, some of my preacher friends and some of the young lions that I've trained over the years, they've gotten off in this area of grace to where they've perverted it and gone too far with it and overemphasized it. I know Pastor Mike's talked to you about that. And grace is great and grace is wonderful. But all any error in the church ever throughout history, all any error in the church is, is overemphasized truth. That's all error ever is in the church is overemphasized truth. And you can do that with any subject. You can do it with faith. You can do it with love. You can do it with grace. You can, do it, you can do it with any subject in the Bible. You can just take it and preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it and overemphasize it until you get off with it and it gets into error. Hello? Amen. And that's, what hap- that's what's happened in the last few years with this subject of grace. Even though grace is wonderful, marvelous, great, it's in the Bible, I preach it, I love it, but it's gotten overemphasized by a group of people and many of them friends of mine. And, uh, and so whenever we uh, overemphasize grace, what happens is that the Christian hearing it or the church hearing it becomes weak. And you, get, you end up being a weakened Christian because there's no more any, any moxie to you. There's no more any stamina to you. There's no more any, any uh, stand up and fight to you. It's just, oh, God loves me so much it'll be okay. God just loves me so much it'll be okay. God just loves me so much... Are you all here? And God does love us, but he does not love us to the point of violating his word. He loves us dearly, but he doesn't love us to the point of violating his word and violating laws and principles. Are you here? So I went to this young, one young gentleman, one very, very famous preacher, one of, my, one of my sons in the faith, one of my young lions that I taught since he was a teenager, and I went and talked to him for five solid hours. And, and talked to him about what he's preaching and what it's doing and, and how it's wrong and gave him scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And he was very sweet and very honorable and loves me and, and uh, thanked me and appreciated me, but we didn't agree, you know, and I and I said, well, what are you doing with this scripture? Well, I, I don't know about that scripture. Yeah, well, what are you going to do about this scripture? Well, uh, well, I don't know. Well, what about this scripture? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And, and just gave him scripture after scripture after scripture that there was no no answer for. And so I said to him, I said, listen, I said, every sermon you ever hear, every doctrine that you ever hear, you always have to follow it to the end. Where is it going to go? Because every, every sermon is going to go somewhere. Every doctrine is going to go somewhere. There's going to be a trail you can follow. Isn't that right? When you look back here and you see this sign over that door that says exit, then you, you know what that means, right? Every sign tells you something and every, and what it tells you, you can follow that out to find it to be true. Are you here? And I said, if you continue preaching what you're preaching now, it's going to evolve. And I said, you're going to get more famous, you're going to get more rich, you know, and you're going to be on TV more and more people are going to buy stuff and buy books and tapes and all kind of stuff. And then you're going to go to big meetings and blah, and, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, so it's going to have to go somewhere and you're going to evolve it. It's going to evolve into a situation where, well, God just loves us so much that you know everybody's going to be saved. You don't need to repent. And pretty soon he started preaching that. You don't need to repent. You should never repent. One preacher friend of mine came to him one time after that, and he said, Brother Terry, he said, I don't care if some guy walked up to my daughter, my only daughter, and took a pistol and shot her in the face and killed her dead. He said, I wouldn't expect that guy to apologize to me or to God. And I said, well, you're just a moron. Yeah. But you have to follow where this is going to go. I said, so pretty soon you're going to be preaching don't repent. And so that's, that, that happened. And it's still going on. And I said, then you're, if, there, if there's, if there's no, no repentance, then you're going to believe that there's no, there's no penalty for sin. There's no correction and, of course, that's where it's gone. And I said, and you'll, you'll end up preaching that pretty soon that, well, even the devil's going to be saved. And they are. They're preaching that. And you're going to preach that God just loves everybody so much, he even loves the devil, and he's going to get the devil saved. Well, that's just not what the Bible says. It's just not true. And I said, and then pretty soon you're going to say, well, if there's no penalty for sin, then, there must, then there's no hell. And that's what they're preaching now. There's no hell. This is it. And then you're going to preach that, well, if there's no hell, there's no heaven. And that's where they've gone, and this is it. You're in hell now, and you're in heaven now. Just pick one. And I said, you've got to stop this because you're... I said, I don't care if you preach weird stuff. I said, I don't care if the church gets a little weird. It always has. You know, I, Brother Hagan used to say, better a little wildfire than no fire at all. So, you know, I'm I'm happy if somebody preaches something that gets people shook up a little bit because the church is always balanced back. It's always gotten to one, going over toward one extreme or going to another extreme. Then it bounced back. And Brother Hagin used to always tell us, you know, stay in the center of the road. There's a bar ditch on both sides of the road. The devil doesn't care which ditch you're in. He'll help you get out of one to get in the other. But Brother Hagin always said, stay balanced, stay centered, stay on the center, on the center line, stay in the center of the road. And uh, I said, pretty soon you're going to start preaching this nonsense and it's going to affect people. I said, I don't mind a little wildfire. If you just preach a little wildfire and got the church excited, I wouldn't care. Because I figure, you know, you're a word guy. You'll come back. You'll get it straight. I said, but now you're into heresy. And I said, heresy bothers me because now it's my business. Now you're hurting the church. If you were just exciting the church a little bit and getting them a little, you know, here and there and somewhere else, I figure they'll come back. But, but if you're going to hurt them, now I'm, now I'm not happy. Amen. Amen. And we're going to have to understand where all this stuff's going. And I've got I've got preachers that I used to know that were solid, good, word-of-faith preachers, and they're just preaching some of the goofiest stuff now. We've got one friend in, in Tulsa that just went totally off the deep end, had a big church of thousands of people, and wonderful church, wonderful music-oriented church, wonderful praise- and worship-oriented church. You know, he started preaching all that nonsense. And... uh His church went down and went down and went down and went down and and finally got down to about 20 people. And then he merged it with a Unitarian church. They don't believe anything. You know, and so now he he calls what he's preaching the gospel of inclusion. That everybody's included. I said, well, you know, we preach that forever. God loves everybody. God loves everybody. But, you know, he's preaching this stuff that just, you know, that, that appeals to to people to just live like you want to, you can live like a live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep. Well, that just doesn't work. It's just not Bible. And so I pleaded with my young man, you know, pleaded with him, didn't do any good. And uh, and I'm saddened about that. And I'm and I'm seeing people in the church go go that direction. And and yet the thing is, well, God just loves me so much, he'll just he'll just he'll just rescue me. Well, he's already rescued you. <laughs> but you don't need to go out here trying to live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep because then you wonder why aren't those blessings showing up? Why isn't this happening? Are you here? So anytime you hear, anytime you hear a word, anytime you hear a doctrine, follow it to the end and so say, where, where is this going to go? And there's no place that that greasy grace is going to end up except that, hey, God loves the devil. In fact, you know, there's no hell. In fact, there's no heaven. In fact, there's no devil. In fact, who knows if there's a god or not? And that's where that stuff all all goes to. We've got to be solid grounded in the Word of God, and understand. So we, you know, we used to preach about hell. We used to preach about heaven. You know, you don't find that anymore. But Jesus said that this man in hell, lift up his eyes, being in torments plural. And see, we 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 get to thinking that uh, the, the world gets to think. Hollywood thinks the world thinks movies come out cartoons come out that you know that when you're in hell it's not really you that when you're in hell you're just kind of some gaseous blob vapor floating around or when you get to heaven you're just floating around on a cloud and plunking on a harp and, and it's not really you that's just not true the bible says that you'll be known as your that you will know as you're known in other words you'll see somebody and you'll recognize them you know you'll come out and see me and say hey hi terry how you doing I say, hey great how you doing you know and and you'll you'll know as you're known and this guy it's important for us to realize this rich man in hell he had all his faculties he had his hearing he had his speech he had his sight he saw abraham he saw lazarus he talked to them he heard what they said he spoke to them he had uh, he had thirst he said please father abraham just send that beggar to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. People tell you today, oh, there's no fires in hell. Hell doesn't really have fire. Jesus said it did. did. Jesus is the one that's talking here. Jesus said there's flames. And then he was tormented and then he was thirsty and begged for that beggar just to come tip, just, just put some water on his tongue. And Abraham said that can't happen. And so this guy in hell had something else that we don't think of people in hell having. He had a real concern that nobody else come there. You know, when you see uh, movies in Hollywood, when you see cartoons about hell, it's a party. And everybody there wants everybody else to come. Hey, let's have a ball. Let's have fun. There's no fun. There's no party. Y'all ever, y'all ever, y'all ever notice that nobody in Hollywood ever goes to hell? <laughs> Seriously, you ever notice that every time somebody in Hollywood dies, or some uh, rich person or famous person dies, or some musician or some—I mean, anybody that's you know really well, well, well-known—then uh, whenever at their funeral or before, uh, here comes all the news reporters and they shove a microphone in the face of their friends and say, "Well, well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think?" What? And they all say the same thing. They all say, "Oh, well, they're in heaven. They're watching over us right now." Well, no, they may not be in heaven. They may be in hell. But yet, according to Hollywood, all the beautiful people go to heaven. But see, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're the beautiful people or just because you're rich or just because you're famous. I I remember, this will date me some, I guess, but I remember when Frank Sinatra died. Y'all remember old Blue Eyes? And uh, I remember when Frank Sinatra died, somebody ran up with a microphone stuck it in front of one of the one of his friends face here in Hollywood and said, uh, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I'll tell you this. He said, he said, wherever Frank is right now, he's the life of the party. And I thought, well, that's not true because if he's in heaven, Jesus is the party. Frank's not the party. And if he's in hell, there's not a party. And he said, i tell you, old Frank right now is just, just bending an elbow and hosting a Jack Daniels. And I thought, well, that's not true. Because there's not any Jack Daniels in heaven, I seriously doubt. And there's not any in hell either. There's no party. It's not fun. And this guy didn't want his brothers to come there. Please don't let them come to this place of torment. Are y'all here? You know, I remember when Princess Diana died. Some of y'all may remember that as well. I was preaching in North Carolina. And I I just, when that came on the news, I went and sat in front of the TV. I mean, up close to the TV and because they were trying to get her out of that car for three hours. and, And she's still alive. And, man, I just started praying for her and praying for her and said, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Cause her to call out to you. If she hadn't done it before, maybe she has. But if she hadn't done it before, don't let her die without you. Cause her to call out. And for three hours, they worked to get her out of that car and she died. Now, I don't know the lady. I'm not her judge. I don't know Frank Sinatra. I'm not his judge. But you know, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're a princess. Or just because you were nice. Or just because you did humanitarian stuff. You have to call on God. You have to call on Jesus. You have to accept Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the door. And he said, nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now, I wish he hadn't said that, Chip. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible I just really don't like. But God never asked me if I liked it. He just said, this is the way it is. I don't get a vote. I don't get an opinion. Isn't that right? He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Well, brother, say that's not politically correct. I can't help it. Yeah, but you might hurt a Buddhist feeling. I can't help it. His feelings are going to be really hurt if he gets to hell for eternity. Amen. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying to you? The church has got to be an active participant in this gospel. And that's what the Bible tells us. We've got to get the gospel to the world. We've got to fulfill the Great Commission. We've got to win souls. We've got to rescue people. Otherwise, they go to this place of torment in flames for eternity. You know, the bad thing, one of the bad things about hell is that is that there are people there now that were there thousands of years ago and yet their sentence today is no shorter than it was the day they got there. That said, I'm not happy about that. That's horrible. It's just true. I think of Nero, you know, Nero cut the Apostle Paul's head off. And he's in hell today. You know, and he's saying, dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. Dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. Dummy, you killed the Apostle Paul. But he's, he, he'll be there forever. Forever. Are you all here? And this guy tells us four times, uses the word torments, for. Times says, please don't let my brothers go there. They don't want anybody else coming to hell. It's not a party. It's not fun. And it is forever. Amen. But let me tell you something about these well-known people dying. It's the greatest time for you to win souls. When they're famous and everybody knows they died... Maybe it's a police officer in your town. Maybe it's a fireman in your town. Maybe it's a politician in your town. Maybe it's a well-known businessman. Something that affects the whole town or like a movie star or a musician or somebody that's world famous. When they die, everybody's thinking about it. So that's the easiest time that if you're in a restaurant or you're in a coffee shop or you're anywhere else, if you're at the beauty shop or or, uh, the hairstylist, wherever you're at, somebody will bring it up oh, did you hear about so-and-so dying? And then you say, oh, yeah, that's so terrible. That's so terrible. Isn't that awful? Do you ever give much thought to spiritual things? Because, you know, man, we're all going to die. It's just the easiest, easiest time for you to lead someone to Jesus because it's on everybody's mind. That's why they all say all these people are in heaven. I was preaching down the road in Ontario the night Whitney Houston died. And I tell you, you know, the next, week or two weeks or three weeks, that's all that was on the TV Is Whitney Houston done. Boy, I mean, everybody was saying, she's in heaven, she's in heaven, she's in heaven. Well, maybe she is. I hope she is. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'm not their judge. It's like Princess Di, though. You don't get to go to heaven just because you're famous or just because you're beautiful or just because you're rich. It takes calling on the Lord and accepting Jesus. Amen. 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 I had a whole group of teenagers with me in Jamaica uh, teaching them, training them to win souls years ago when John F. Kennedy Jr. died. And uh, first thing I thought when I got up that morning and saw the news, Saturday morning, got up and saw the news, uh, he died in a plane crash, with his, had his wife with him and his sister-in-law with him. And, and I'm a pilot, so it always bugs me when I hear about a plane crash, and I always want to analyze it and, and check it out, and why did it Why did it crash, and was it the airplane's fault, was it the pilot's fault, why did it crash, those things aren't made to crash, they're made to fly, why did this one crash? And it always bugs me, and I search them out, you know, and see if it's pilot error or if it's mechanical failure or whatever it is. But the first thing I thought that morning, besides being upset as a pilot, uh, the first thing I thought of was this very scripture, that the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Now, I don't know if he went to hell or heaven. I don't know the God. I'm not his judge. I, I know he's. he seemed to me to be the best of the bunch of all the Kennedys. You know, anybody sitting here that's gray-haired like I am, we, we remember him being four years old, saluting at his daddy's funeral, saluting the casket when we buried President Kennedy. Good-looking guy. Rich, rich, rich beyond imagination. I mean, when his mama died, when Jackie O died, she left him $15 billion with a B. That's pretty rich, Right. But see, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're rich. You don't get to go to heaven because you're part of Camelot. Are you here? Now I hope he's in heaven. And if he ever called on Jesus, he is. I'm not his judge. I'm just saying when these things happen, they gain world attention or city attention or nation attention, whatever, and that's the great time for you to talk to somebody about eternity. Do you ever go to a cemetery? Man, those are the most spiritual places on the planet. Everybody at the cemetery is heavenly minded. You go out there and they got, they got doves and they got sheep and they got crosses and they've got stars of David and they've got, they've got lambs. and they've, I mean, they've got, you know, the, uh, some, some, some cemeteries I go to, they've got all the, all the apostles and the garden of the apostles and, and you know, everything's spiritual. Everything's spiritual. Because when somebody dies, everybody gets eternity minded. Everybody gets eternity-minded. And that's the best time for the Christian, for the church, to be able to win people to Jesus and to talk to people and say, isn't isn't that a shame? I'm so sorry they died. Do you ever think about spiritual things? I was in Ukraine preaching the day Michael Jackson died. Again, I don't know Michael Jackson. I'm not his judge. I know I know. all the weeks prior to his death, Hollywood said he was a pervert and a pedophile and had him on trial and all kinds of other stuff. But the day he died, he was no longer a pervert and a pedophile. He was a saint. And everybody said, oh, he's in heaven. He's in heaven. Michael's in heaven. Well, I hope he is. I hope he is. But there's only two choices. And I remember at his funeral, I was in Ukraine watching this. It was the only thing on TV in English. And so I watched it there for several days. They had all that stuff planned. then at the funeral... I remember everybody at the funeral stood up and talked about Michael being in heaven, Michael being in heaven, Michael being in heaven. And again, I hope he is. I'm not his judge. But then this goofy little actress named Brooke Shields stood up. And she said, Michael today is sitting on a crescent moon smiling down at us. And I yelled at her from Ukraine. I said, crescent moon. She said, I don't know where Michael is. But he's not on a crescent moon. We don't believe in a man on the moon now. He's either in hell for eternity, or he's in heaven for eternity. I hope he's in heaven. But you know, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're the king of pop. Are you here? And you know these, these these TV news people who may not even believe in God all of a sudden get real spiritual. I mean, the day before they may be fussing at the church for the way you know uh, taking Bibles to school or something, and just fussing and cursing the church. The next day, somebody famous dies. They're just oh, the Lord took them to heaven. They're in heaven today. I mean, they're not dying. A princess Die died. This this goofy little CNN uh, newscaster. She said uh, God just took Princess Die so He would have a, a princess in heaven. And I thought, hmm. Jesus isn't good enough. She got to have a princess. I don't think that's that's true. And one week to the day later, Mother Teresa died. That same newscaster said God took Mother Teresa because Princess dies there and he wanted to give her a special guide around heaven. I thought, so Jesus isn't good enough to guide the princess around heaven, so he's got to kill a Catholic nun. (laughs) This is coming from a news anchor. She's giving us religious, she's preaching sermons to us, and she doesn't know... She wouldn't know God if she met him on Main Street wearing a red hat. Are y'all here? But you watch. As soon as someone dies, that's that, that person that's cursing God yesterday, all of a sudden it's, oh, they're in heaven. They're watching over us. Well, I hope so. But that's just not always true. It's only true if they were born again. It's only true if they called out on God. It's only true if they were, they were saved. Amen. I mean, even Mother Teresa, you don't get to go to heaven just because you're a nun. Now, hopefully she's a Christian, you would think. Great humanitarian, took care of widows, took care of orphans, great, great, great provider of the poor. All that's biblical. But you don't just jump from that to the other. There's still got to be a born again. Are you all here? So what we've got here, in Luke chapter 16 is we have a missionary call from hell. We have a man in hell saying please, please don't let anybody else come here. Please send someone to my brothers. Please send someone to testify to them. Please testify to them so they will repent because if they don't get testified to, if they don't repent, they're going to come to this place of torment. Please don't let that happen. A missionary call from hell. Amen. That's what it is. A missionary call from hell. You know, as I said this morning during the altar call, us Christians are, uh, we're inaccurate when we tell people, hey, if you get born again, you'll live forever because you're going to live forever anyway. Yes, that's true. You're going to live forever. Everybody that's ever born on this planet is still alive today. Somewhere. Either in heaven with God or in hell without God. And that's going to go on for eternity. I told you it's a terrible story. Terrible, horrible story. But, you know, the church needs to tell it. We need to remind people that there is a heaven to gain and that there is a hell to shun. Amen. Amen. And that's what we have here is a missionary call from hell. You know, Brother Osteen, Joel's daddy, John Osteen, who is a friend of mine and a really good friend with, with Dean and her husband, Renee, excuse me, with Renee and her husband, Dean. And uh, uh, Brother Osteen used to say, you, you have got the best sermon because nobody can tell your testimony like you can. You go tell your friends, you go tell your neighbors, you go tell your workplace people you you tell them, let me tell you what I used to be like, and let me tell you what happened to me and what i 'm like now. Nobody can tell that story better than you. Nobody can tell your story better than you can tell your story amen, amen. you're 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 the best teller of your story, and your story can be told by you to somebody that's without God and win them to Jesus. Amen. But yet, we, well, the church is so hung up today with being politically correct and let's don't offend somebody. Billy Graham said, we're living in an America where we're, we don't want to offend anybody but God. We don't mind offending God, but we don't want to offend anybody else. Don't tell those people they're sinners. They'll hurt their feelings. Well, if they go to hell. You might offend them. Well, they go to hell. You can't tell them that one God's better than Oh, yeah, you can. And you had best. A missionary call from hell. Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul was asleep one night and uh, had a vision, and a man appeared to him. Uh, the man was from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a, a state just like California is a state. Uh, and, and, and one of the cities in Macedonia is Philippi and so uh, most Bible scholars feel like that the guy that Paul saw in his vision was the jailer in Philippi when Paul got put in jail that the jailer was there and the earthquake came and uh, let him get out of jail and the and the and the jailer took Paul over to his house and they started the church the church uh, uh, the Philippian church Now, we don't know if that's true or not. That's just what Bible scholars feel like when we get to heaven. We'll ask the guys, hey, are you the the guy? But anyway, Paul saw this guy from Macedonia in the vision. And in the vision, this man from Macedonia was saying to Paul, please come over here and help us. Please come over here and help us. So what we have there is a missionary call from the heathen, a missionary call from hell, a missionary call from the heathen. Please come over here and help us. And the Bible says that immediately the next morning we left and went to Philippi. Immediately, he had a vision at midnight and left at 6 a.m. Most Christians today, if God told them to go be a missionary or go do something for God, it'd take them, it'd take them four, five, six, ten years before they could ever go do it. They say, "Well, I, I got a car payments, I got a house payment, I got kids in school. I, you know, I, I, married, I, I married a cow, I bought a wife. You know, just uh, I said that backwards on purpose to get your attention." So it's the same thing it doesn't make any difference it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense married a wife bought a cow married a cow bought a wife it doesn't make any difference you still saying I can't go I can't go and God's saying go 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 two-thirds of God's name is go G-O turn around the other way and two-thirds of God's name is do D-O go and do are y'all here a missionary called from hell a missionary call from the heathen. See, the heathen know they can't help themselves. I've been to so many foreign countries in these almost 50 years. The heathen can't help themselves. It takes a Christian. Yes. It takes a Christian to go tell the heathen about Jesus. Amen. Heathen can't tell the heathen about Jesus. It takes a Christian to go tell the heathen about Jesus. I've had people say, but Brother Terry, don't say heathen. That's offensive. What? It's what the Bible says. Amen. There's lots of heathen around the world, lots of heathen in America. Isn't that right? And if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell. I don't want them to go to hell. I'm just telling you that's what's going to happen. So we, the church, are the only ones that can do something about it. And I don't know if you realize or not, but we're in a, we're in a tremendous fight in this last day. I tell you, everybody's out to, to destroy the church. I mean, everybody's out to destroy the church, to take away the church, to get rid of the